Welcome to The Culture Shift. We want this podcast to empower you as leaders to make impactful change in your workplace. I'm Vicky Bars, and I specialize in transforming organizations through equity, diversity, and inclusion initiatives. In each episode, we'll delve deep into the fascinating world of workplace culture. Join me as I sit down with an array of incredible guests, including members of our very own Culture Shift team and industry experts. Through these thought-provoking conversations, we aim to equip you with the knowledge, tools, and inspiration you need to drive positive change in your workplace. Whether it's breaking down barriers, thinking about how you include a more diverse workforce, or fostering a culture of collaboration and belonging, we've got you covered. So let's dive straight into an episode. joining us for this episode of The Culture Shift. I'm pleased to be joined by Edvita Patel. We're going to be talking about internal communications and how they work with diversity, equity and inclusion specialists and all of the various things that come along with that. How we have uncomfortable conversations, how we make sure that the work isn't being just performative and tokenistic and how we deal with potential misinformation and disinformation in the media. Welcome Edvita, it's really great to have you here. Can I get you to do a bit of an introduction to yourself and who you are so our listeners can know? Yeah, thank you. So um, my name is Advisa Patel. I own an internal communications and employee experience consultancy called Comms Rebel, based in Manchester, actually, just 10 minutes away from here. And I started the business in 2020, January, because I felt 2020 was a brilliant year to start a brand new business after working... 18 not much else going on. No, nothing no. else going on, yeah. <laughs> after working eight, 18 years in different organisations as an in-house internal communication professional. I also own a second business called A Leader Like Me, which is a global consultant focusing on, organi- uh, focusing, um, on helping organisations sorry, build inclusive communication cultures through the EDI strategy. And then uh, the third business, because I'm not busy enough, obviously, (laughs) uh, is a coaching retreat called Calm Edge Rebels, where we help um, organizations and individuals build confidence in who they are and what they believe in. Brilliant. I love that like mission-driven approach to all three different types of organizations. That's fantastic. so uh, we know that you have recently released a book mm-hmm. um, and we'd love to hear a bit more about it, um, especially around sort of, you know, how we use effective internal communication to promote a diversity, equity and inclusion. Um, and so, yeah, tell us a bit about your book and why yeah. you decided to write it. Really interesting story about the book. So I, I always had a dream that I wanted to write a book of some sort, but it was kind of like bashed out of me when I was 15 mm. by my English teacher who was... Um, who was a, a realist, don't get me wrong, but was very much like, don't even think that you could be an author, like get a serious job kind of thing. Um, so I kind of parked it and I used to write um, little romantic novels. Oh. <laughs> I was like 13, 14. I think I watched too much Sweet Valley High. <laughs> Only people of a certain age will know yeah. what that is. Um, so I always had a bit of a pipe dream to write a book, but I never really thought what it would be or anything. And then I just left it alone like you do when you grow up and you move mm. on. And then I read a book by Ruchika Tulshian called Inclusion on Purpose. An incredible book, by mm. the way. If you haven't read it, I highly recommend it. Uh, and Ruchika is um, an EDI, Equity, Diversity, Inclusion specialist uh, and consultant based in the US. And her book was focused on women of colour in the workplace Mm. and when I read that book I felt that she was literally living my life 
Yeah. And I re- re- resonated with everything that she said in there. And one of the things that she said was the challenges that a lot of organisations have sometimes is how to communicate effectively mm. when it comes to inclusion and when it comes to equity and diversity. And the miscommunication is what sometimes causes challenges. Now, by this point, Priya and I already were working on a leader like me, which was at that time a membership aimed at underrepresented women of colour to help them build confidence in their careers. Uh, And we met with them on a weekly basis and we did a a short training programme with them and we did some coaching Mm -hmm. uh, because I'm a qualified confidence coach as well. So I used that kind of um, knowledge and experience to help others. And then I, I remember emailing Priya and said, you know what, with our internal comms experience, we really should be putting together some words to help other communication professionals understand the role they play in the world of inclusion and equity, because I feel like that's a barrier. Yeah. A lot of organisations bring in incredible consultants that can help them develop an EDI strategy. Then that consultant, consultant leaves and leaves them with this plan. And a lot of folks are like, now what? Yeah. And what you find is that the internal comms teams and the HR leaders are not as experienced in how can we communicate this across the organisation that is meaningful. Um, and Priya and I already, already were doing this work within our own consultancy. So Priya owns a consultancy in, in uh, Canada. Um, and Priya's response to me was, no, no thanks. <laughs> I don't want to write a book. I'm okay. Yeah. I was like, what? <laughs> uh, I said, you know what? And I'm, I'm quite good at like persuasion and stuff and, and giving other facts and all that. So we got on a call and I said, you know what? Let's just put together a proposal. We know what we want to say. We advise communication professionals all the time and Mm. leaders on how to communicate better around inclusion. Why don't we just put a chapter synopsis together? It takes ages to get a book deal. We've heard from our friends who are authors how long it took them to get a book deal. And we've got nothing to lose, right? And she's like, okay, fine. So we spent an hour together and we crafted this um, synopsis uh, and we wrote what we would do in each chapter, sent it off to Kogan Page, Kogan Page got in touch within a few days and said we're really interested nice. in the idea. Three weeks later, we got the contract, and Priya was like, "Thank you. You told me it was going to take ages." <laughs> <laughs> so we, it was like we submitted it end of May 2022. They got in touch within a few days to say we're really interested in this idea. We're going to take it to our board. And then two weeks after that, we got the contract that they wanted to sign, and they wanted us to start writing the book in July. That's a quick move. It was a quick, yeah. and they wanted the book to be written by the beginning of December. So we had five months to write the book. So, it, I mean, I, I avoided approaching Priya about the, the stresses on us to write this book. I mean, it's like, it's great, it's a good stuff, it, it's needed. But it's probably one of the best things I feel I've done in my career, not only in the sense of my achievement, because writing a book is... It is an undertaking. I'm not even going to lie. Mm. It is. It is a. I, I imagine that I'd be sat on a beach, you know, in a, in a <laughs> nice writing heart, retreats. waves lapping on. <laughs> I could like, you know, walk down and all that. The kind words of are stuff. flowing. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. No, it wasn't. It was in my garden office every weekend for five, six hours, trying to balance a growing business and writing a book at the same time. Um, but we got so much out of it, both of us, in terms of research and development, the case studies, and. To date now, we've just sold over 800 amazing. books of, um, in the last couple of months, which is amazing. Yeah. So it shows how much it, it was needed. Yeah, and I think like the point that you've hit on around um, internal communication professionals feeling confident and comfortable yeah. in this topic is so important. Yeah. Um, loads of the companies we work with um, tend to struggle to bring those teams on board. So yeah. um, we you know, run a reporting platform um, and 
their teams who are usually administering that are quite far away from the internal communications teams usually yeah. so they tend to be people who are in support services or in like HR employee relations type roles and um, sometimes EDI professionals as well but then they are like well we need to promote this platform we need to let people know about it um, and how you communicate that and then there's that battle around well you know are we going to make the situation worse by talking about yeah. it more yeah. I don't know if you've heard that one yeah, but like yeah, yeah, it's yeah. really common that yeah, we hear yeah. that and and we have to sort of say to people actually it's reassuring for people to know that people think about this yeah. these challenges and there are like the fact that you're presenting them with ways in which they can re respond to these issues and yeah. what actions they can take are is like is a gift yeah. and 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 getting the internal communications teams to sort of see that they're yeah. part of that um overall piece of work can be a bit of a challenge when understandably they're like usually heavily loaded with like so many different things people want to communicate and it's like you know how do you prioritize yeah. an internal communication it, specialist it's right? really it's really tough but i always say to the folks that i work with in internal comms is there's no point communicating some of the stuff if people don't feel included hmm. if people feel excluded from the work that's taking place and they can't see the value that they're bringing it doesn't matter how many campaigns you're kind of throwing out there people are not going to pay attention so the frustration's on you because yeah. you're wasting your time and energy in, in sending out these campaigns for various things without any meaning behind it mm. and you need to be, be you need to be able to ask the curious questions so you get an understanding yourself on the purpose of why you're communicating something you know Priya and I were presented at a HR conference um, in June this, uh, this year actually and before we did our talk we walked around the venue and they had um, round tables taking place like sporadic and around the round tables they had big boards where you put post-its on how to solve a problem or how to solve mm. the challenge. There was a board around uh, well-being, there was a board on EDI, there was a board on trading, and there was a board on performance. Four boards. As we walked past, the well-being board with post-its was overflowing. Overflowing, like to the extent where it's outside of the actual yeah. board itself. The EDI board, six post-its. Wow. And I would say to Priya, I mean, looked at the stuff, the challenges that the, the post-its were on there, on the well-being board, and I said to Priya, those challenges that they're talking about on the well-being board is direct impact of the lack of inclusion and belonging that people have. Mm. The people you got, the reason you got people off with stress, the reason you got people who are leaving businesses, the reason you got people who are not connecting with their leaders is because they don't feel included. Yeah, yeah. So deal with why they don't feel included, and I guarantee the knock-on effect on well-being will be improved. Yeah. dramatically and we know that like experiences around stress and bullying and harassment and all of these things like disproportionately impact yeah. people who have from marginalized identities yeah. right yeah. and when you start to look at the number of people from different marginalized identities they actually probably make up the majority of your yeah. workforce and um, like not necessarily independently if you look at each characteristic individually but when you start to put the intersectionality put together, together and think about the intersectionality yeah. exactly yeah you start to think actually this is the majority of my workforce yeah. they're all being negatively impacted by this and perhaps it is something I need to address yeah. not just from a well-being standpoint yeah. but like you say from a belonging yeah. and inclusion and you take well. away take if you look at the socioeconomic side of things which isn't a protected characteristic I believe it should be but it yeah, isn't same. it's even bigger and your your the leaders are sometimes can be a bit f removed away from what is actually happening happening to their workforce mm. and I believe as internal comms or communication professionals we have a duty of care to share that information, what we're hearing, because HR can be seen as um, the enemy sometimes, I have to admit, and yeah. I've got lots of great friends who are HR professionals, I'm one of my best friends is HR director, 
And I've seen the response that HR often get, and HR have to protect the business. And I'm not saying that comms professionals don't work for the organisation, they do. But ultimately, we're almost like the mediators between the leadership team and the workforce, because we're lucky enough and privileged enough to have an oversight of across the board. And as professionals, we should be able to go to our leaders and tell them, this is the situation that's going on right now. This is what I'm hearing from your workforce. What do we need to do to make sure that they are feeling included? and have a sense of belonging in this organization because right now it's not there and we need to kind of figure out through a communication channel through conversations we need to sort it out but there's a lot of comms folks who struggle to articulate that in a confident way yeah because they feel that they are rocking the boat or they don't have the right to say something or the leaders can be quite dismissive let's not let's not even go there like they can be quite you know who are you you write my newsletter and you put stuff on the internet. That's a perception they often have of what the comms role is, which is why it's so easily under-resourced and under-budgeted because they can't see the strategic impact that professional has in the organisation, which is one of the reasons we wrote that book to demonstrate, actually, if you brought your communication professionals in your conversation right from day one, you'll see an incredible improvement in the way people communicate with each other in the business. What I'm hearing there as well is around this idea of perhaps a two-way yeah. um, like communication. So that a lot of people think that like internal communications is just about putting information yeah. out, but it sounds like actually you get a lot of information in yeah. as well, and you're hearing so much from the workforce and that the fact that you're able to relay that. Like mm-hmm. that's such a powerful position yeah. to be in in the organisation, and like if people aren't able to utilise that that knowledge and that power to um, influence the strategies within the organisation. That's that's such a missed opportunity. It really is. And it's that thing we talk about active listening mm. all the time, especially in the world of coaching. Are we actually listening to what people are telling us and how are we actioning what we're hearing? So I hear this thing all the time in the world of comms that people are tired of filling in surveys. Survey fatigue, people are tired, no one wants to fill it in. No, they're not tired of giving their opinion. What they're tired of is giving their opinion and nothing being done about it. Yes. Absolutely. All the time. And I'm like, mm. you, and especially when you're asking marginalised individuals to share their experiences, and, and it, I cannot iterate how, how damaging it can be for a marginalised individual to talk about some of the experiences that they've gone through, and then that team or leader or organisation not do anything. Yeah. I'm like, don't ask, because it's more harmful you asking and not doing anything than asking and then doing uh, uh, sorry it's more harmful for you asking and not doing anything than not asking at all yeah and that's such a powerful message that we try and convey to the partners that we work with at culture shift so we encourage obviously people to um tell their experiences to us through our reporting platform Mm -hmm. um and i say to all of the partners that i work with you know we if you don't close that communication loop, you lose trust. And it's really important. So we've recently launched a feature where you can create an insight report to share with the communities that have been reporting, Mm -hmm. either like, you know, through putting on the website, through internal communications. um, And like, for me, that's just so important. And even if all you can say is that, you know, we've received this many reports of bullying and this is, you know, we've done this with this percentage of them that's something yeah that's something for people to see that like actually they're the reason they went to that site and them expressing their experience is is not just been a, like a waste of time yeah. and that actually yeah. something's been done about it it makes such a, i mean imagine going into a workplace and sharing all these concerns that you've got and then just being ignored who wants to be ignored 
Yeah. Nobody wants to be ignored. Like, if you can address it there and then, then tell them why. Look, you made a really valid point. We think it's really important. We don't have the budget. We don't have the resources. However, I'm going to do X, Y, and Z to make sure it's managed in the next quarter. Whatever you have to say. But don't ask people if you're not willing to communicate back to them. It's, I've seen so many colleagues that I've worked with and supported through focus groups who have just really struggled with being included and then just be and then the leader turning around and going they're not committed they're not committed they're underperforming this is you know we've given them plenty of opportunities but they're not taking those and then they use things like oh they've got imposter syndrome yeah. I'm like I really you know don't even get me started on imposter syndrome but I'm like I think you need to look at the environment that you're creating for that person and why they be behave in the way they're behaving and be real be real honest with yourself in why that's happening because yeah. it's important and I think I think that's the role of internal comms and communication professionals as a whole to use that in a respectful way to build trust with that leadership team and tell them this is what's going on in the workforce yeah so moving on to talk a bit about how we think like internal communications teams can align with an organization's like diversity inclusion equity strategies like how what do you think um needs to happen more in order to make that possible there needs to be alignment between the comm strategy and the edi strategy i don't believe it should be a standalone strategy mm. so if the communication strategy doesn't have any like the, the weave in from edi then i'd question why it exists because you can't you know i always say you can't be sprinkled on top it has to be baked in mm. and if you're not prepared to understand where the challenges are and bake it into your comm strategy then is it tokenistic and performative and in the, there's a chapter in that book where we talk about um, conversation versus campaigns. And as comms professionals, we lean towards campaigns mm -hmm. rather than the conversations. And the most and the biggest successes is where the conversations take place. Yeah. And in order for conversations to take place, you need to be curious. And to be curious, you need to ask questions. So when you have an EDI strategist coming in to build the strategy, then the comms person should be in that room. Yeah. Because they need to be able to advise and guide in how they can weave through some of these conversations in the channels that they own. And that is the power move. And at the moment, what I'm seeing is that EDI work takes place in independently with HR, like you said, HR and certain policymakers and maybe a few leaders. Comms are nowhere near it. And then the EDI person will go, hand over to HR. HR will do things like traditional things like awareness days. You know, it's Black History Month right now mm. in October. My question is always, what, do you, what have you done in the last 12 months for black colleagues in your business? Yeah. Why are you just doing it now? Why are you doing it now? Same yeah. with International Women's Day, same with Pride Month, same with South Asian Heritage Month. What are you actually doing to make a difference to black colleagues in your business in the last 12 months? Yeah. And these things can be great conversation starters, yep. but it has to feel like rather than doing, being feel like something's being done to you, yep. it's being done with you. Exactly. Right? Have, yeah, like year-long round programs yeah. that bring these things in something we do at culture shift so we will mark and celebrate yeah. all of those dates but we also have um like learnings that we do on a monthly basis yeah. and those themes never really like intentionally line up with those dates like we'll we'll just have like a rotation of things where we're yeah. like we've not talked about religious inclusion in the workplace for example for a while yeah. so we normally bring someone in to share an experience usually an external provider and we then and then that like kind of builds the conversation and one of the things i really love about that 
those sessions is usually we bring in some conversation about, oh, that's in our policy. Mm -hmm. Like, you can actually have extra days off for this or you can... um, you know like we will mark this in this way or we'll think about this yeah. occasion or we'll have those conversations and it's um, continuous right it's continuous it's a continuous yeah. conversation just because when the 31st of october comes and 1st of november starts it doesn't mean that you stop talking about black colleagues in your organization no, and exactly. some of the challenges that they might be facing it's a it, that month i to your point is about marking the fact that you know, they do face discrimination over other groups and what are we doing support them progress throughout the 12 months yeah and how are we recognizing that how we're measuring that and what difference are we actually making because if you keep doing it year on year and you're not doing anything in terms of helping improve their quality of life or performance or career then don't do it yeah and like you said before it could be performative and it could be tokenistic and so much like equity and inclusion work just can end up feeling really performative and tick boxy and and a lot of the time I think organizations are like so desperate to be seen to be doing something and they care more about that than they do about actually embedding it right so like what some of the sort of tips that you would have around sort of embedding that in an everyday sort of practice well the first is is have continuous conversations and be mm. curious about each other i think in the world of hybrid which we're in right now it's really difficult to form connection and it doesn't matter what people say because people love working sorry i'm stereotyping most people tend to like working from home and like the option of the choice of coming into the office which is fair and i agree with that and i think flexible agile working is a way forward however you have to be very intentional with how you're building connections mm. with people that are not of, as visible in person because you've built that connection on micro moments. Yeah. When you're making a cup of tea in the kitchen, when you're going to get your lunch from the spa, when you're going for a walk at lunchtime, those little tiny micro moments is where you build that trust with each other. And if you're trying to replicate that online, you have to be very intentional how you do it. Yeah. And if you think about behavior since the pandemic, it's back to back. Yeah, teams, back-to-back teams, right down to business, close off, two minutes to go for a wee probably, get back on, meeting again. And I will always say to folks, look at the pattern of behaviour and you should be keeping gaps in between each meeting to uh, allow for conversation to happen. Mm. Because if you don't know something about somebody, you can't form that connection and you don't understand their lived experience of how they're feeling. Yeah, I love that phrase, micro moments. That's going to stick with me. It's really good. we do donut chats is yeah. something that we do. It's a plug-in on our Slack channel. Yeah. And it randomly selects you to pair up with someone from another part of the organization. And you just have a quick sort of half yeah. an hour. Um, there's never an actually enough donuts, I have to say. <laughs> um, but it's, it's a really nice way yeah. of having like a short conversational yeah. moment. Um, and I work remotely most of the time. I'm based in London and um, I work in a co-working space. And, and these people like that I work next to and with are not necessarily my colleagues but those micro moments are really important yeah. I think and actually I've had that with some people and I feel like I can say things but there are other people where I'm like I don't know you and yeah. I can't raise some of the like challenges yeah. I feel in this this space yeah. because I don't even know your name for it's, example yeah. Like, yeah. and it's just things like that that like yeah fostering connection yeah. right but Love that's it. when you can have difficult conversations or mm. constructive conversations right and we sometimes fear having them because we don't want to upset or we don't want to harm. You know, in my experience, and probably your, your own, 99% of people are not malicious. You know, they want to do good. Yeah. They want to do, make sure that everyone does, is belonging and has, it feels included and has value. Nobody wants to hurt anybody by purpose. But it's that 
biases that they may have, the stereotypes that they may hold, the disconnection that they might have, they can't relate, um, and the fear of, of hurting somebody. So when somebody says something that isn't right or fair, should I say something? Should I not say something? To your point, I don't even know the name. Like, mm. will they think I'm not a nice person? So it, it kind of stops you being the active ally that you need to be. And that's why those micro moments, which I talk about all the time, are critical. And it's not about going on a spa weekend, you know, or anything like that if you don't want to. But it's about those tiny moments of getting to know somebody on a, on a personal level. It's really important. The second thing I always say to folks to kind of understand so you don't become performative is think about the why. Mm-hmm. So why are we doing this? Like, what, what is the purpose of this? What, are we, what is the actual call to action? What's the outcome? What behaviours do we want to see change from this campaign or this celebratory event or awareness thing what are we actually trying to do and have a conversation about what is it like what we're doing is it because everybody else is doing it is that why we're doing it or is it because we actually want to see a difference and critically what is the outcome Mm. like what behaviors do you actually want to see changing in those individuals in within the organization and do personas if you have to and i love personas like i'm like if you know your demographic of your organization, you can create personas and you can get an understanding of how they consume information, how they learn. And if you know how they consume and how they learn, you can make your communication more personalized. A broadcast communication and absolute throwing comms at them every single day about different things is going to overwhelm. I worked for a, a supported an organization that brought me in because they had an EDI consultant come in and do an incredible like EDI strategy. Um, but there was disconnect from it all and people mm. weren't turning up to events or socials or you know, things like that. So I came in to do a bit of an observation and a review. And in one of the focus groups, um, somebody slipped up and said to me, oh, you know, I get, I get like over 100 emails a day in my inbox. Uh, anything that's got the word equity, diversity, inclusion, I've got a rule and it goes into a separate folder and I don't look at it. I was like, wow. Yeah. Like... When we talk about this world and the education that we need to give people, that individual has not looked at any comms around inclusion, diverse equity in six months. And as you said, like people's intentions aren't malicious. I'm sure that person set that up thinking, when I find the time, I'm going to go back yeah, to that. Exactly, it's yeah. in one place. Yeah, yeah. It's not going to get lost. I'm not deleting it. I'm not deleting it yeah. and putting it somewhere. Yeah. And I've done. I've been guilty of that on so many yeah. different topics. Yeah. Um, and like, I think something I was thinking when you were speaking earlier was around. Um, actually, I think we're over-reliance on text and written communication yeah. compared to verbal communication. is, And, like, you can't necessarily read intentional tone no. in text communication. So picking up the phone and having a conversation um, or, you know, having a Teams meeting or a Slack call or whatever um, is so powerful. Yeah. And I know that can sometimes feel a bit more time-consuming, but actually the, be- the benefit in the long run of being able to, like, address that point more directly and in a way that's not going to cause, like, ruptures because of you know written language being able to be misinterpreted yeah. i think it's, it's quite powerful as yeah, well it is, yeah and that's and that's the it's the it's the intention or the intent right behind mm. that comms that can be sometimes missed so if it's a if it's a difficult message or it's something that's got nuances around it i will always advise the leader to do a video or to do an audio because mm. you can you can connect better with with uh, visual or voice um and it's helpful when you put it in a blog like you yeah. can't read the tone like to your point i really love the idea of doing internal communications with videos and yeah i guess it's like bigger organizations that makes sense right well like not even smaller organizations yeah. like why would you like you know video has been a big part of the comms industry for a while now sometimes they can go the other side and do hundreds of videos that you know just 
it just gets a bit OTT. But short, snappy videos. You know, I always say, the advice I give to folks is YouTube shorts. Mm. You know, those 90 second short videos are so powerful. That's all the leader, and you don't need fancy technology really. You can just do it on your phone and go, yeah. hi folks, just wanted to jump on and say, I've heard this is what's going on. I'm just wanting to let you know that I'm on it. I'll be back in touch when I'm back in the office tomorrow. We'll have a bit of a team meeting, we'll have a chat. Yeah. Like how much, how much of that is so much more connecting and relationship building like formal email, really that, for, yeah. dear colleagues, thank you for your, yeah, I'm like, oh my goodness, like we're in a world that's, we consume information so much more than we ever have done so yeah. in our generations. People are tired, people are exhausted, they're dealing with trauma outside of work, the tragedies that we're seeing right now mm. with Israel and Gaza is intense and people are upset, they're emotional. You know, there's a lot going on and we need to be very conscious of that when we're working in organisations about their mental state and physical well-being. Yeah. And whatever we can do to support them and give them that headspace to do the stuff that they need to do is really powerful and they'll remember that. They'll remember that. Yeah, so much. Um, how are we doing time? Something that we think about a lot in this sphere, I guess, is around... Um, addressing difficult topics and having uncomfortable conversations right and I guess internal communications teams have to deal with that like yeah quite consistently mm -hmm. um and obviously also <laughs> so do diversity equity and inclusion yeah. specialists and that feels like such obvious common ground yeah. to bring people together on yeah definitely but people don't like confrontation or conflict and that's those are the words they use mm. when they talk about difficult conversations so when I talk about, when I, do, when I do reviews and I do focus groups, people will go, oh yeah, we don't like having a difficult conversation because we don't like conflict. And I'm really curious about that. So why do you believe it's going to be a conflict if it's an uncomfortable or difficult conversation? And it is the way that we have been conditioned as human beings. When we enter a debate or a discussion where the opposing person has a different view, we go in wanting to win. Mm. I have to win this. Because that's the way we've been conditioned, right? Debates, the way what we see our like, politicians out there do and everything, we compete. And I would say, remove the fact, remove the need of wanting to win and look at the core objective of what you're trying to do and the greater good. So what is that common objective from both parties in terms of what you want to achieve and go in with productive disagreement? Mm. And that's a Buster Benson um, work, like framework. So Buster Benson's a guy who talks about productive disagreements a lot and there's lots of his stuff online that you can check out. But I, I've been invested in Buster Benson's framework for a long time because he talks about, not it's not about uh, debates, it's not about uh, fights or getting in our own way. It's about productive disagreements with the core outcome that's common in between. And mm. sometimes it's give and take. And it's entering those conversations with respect in centering yeah. those conversations with an understanding of why that person may feel the way they feel and asking the questions in the right way. Yeah. And I will always say to people, use the coaching style to understand. So if you don't agree with somebody of their point of view, then ask them, can you help me understand how you got to that solution? Because I'm struggling to get there by myself. Mm. Can you walk me through it? And that allows well, that I disagree, and yeah. this is what I think. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, which is the yeah. politician oh, style yeah. of like, you're wrong yeah. and I'm right. Yeah. Oh, you're an idiot. Yeah. Like, you know, your face may say that you're an idiot, and, and, but verbal and uh, nonverbal is just as powerful, right? The nonverbal reaction. So it's like, I'm, 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 I'm feeling a bit conflicted about what you just said, and I'm really struggling to get there. So can you walk me through how you got to that end kind of...
That's very familiar, isn't it, with politicians sort of doing the whole, like, I'm right, you're wrong sort yeah. of approach. Yeah, and that's, what, that's the way we've been conditioned, right, to win. And when we see influencers like that in the space that we, you know, in the media and in the papers and online now, that's the way we enter conversations, that I have to win, and we've been conditioned mm. to win. Ever since we were kids, right, it's always been kind of, you have to win this, you know, stick up for yourself. But Buster Benson's kind of mythology and framework is about productive disagreements. So centering the outcome of what you want to achieve, that's for the greater good. Mm. And working together and using coaching kind of questions is what I use. Is like, can you help me understand how you got to that point of view? Because I'm really struggling to kind of walk, walk myself there. And how does, that, how does that reflect on what we're trying to achieve? Those kind of questions rather than those kind of, I disagree. I think you're an idiot. I don't, I don't want to work with you anymore. That kind of stuff. And it just causes unnecessary yeah. tension. And at the end of the day, you know, we're all adults and we're all grown-ups and we don't all have to agree with everything, but we have to be respectful with the conversation and we have to put the greater good before our own viewpoints and biases. Yeah. But also in um, television, film, that sort of media, yeah. this idea of like the good-bad dichotomy, yeah. like co- like um, comic books, yeah. you know, like... Um, they they you know the villain and the hero evil and good evil and good exactly and so we're so like shrouded in this sort of like yeah like really binary idea of like what is good and bad and actually like can true truths be held very strongly that perhaps seem to contradict one another but actually are both like true um yeah, there's a TV show called Once Upon a Time that helped me unravel oh, some yeah, of yeah, that. Yeah. I really enjoyed I it. it for that. Yeah, it's so it. good, yeah. Because <laughs> this idea that, like, I think it was that moment where, um, like, someone's heart gets pulled yeah. out and you could see the, the, like, the blackness. The blackness, yeah. but it could heal itself. Yeah. Yeah. And that really, like, spoke to me in terms of trying to understand that, like, you know, people aren't inherently bad. Yeah. We do bad things. Yeah. And we do... Um, and we, we, can, we can change those and we can heal yeah. from those. And it's, it, like, I really think that, like, that actually being able to unpack that idea really helps us to come to difficult conversations from a place of sort of more care and understanding and humility, which I think is, for me, what respect is. It, exactly. And I always say it's not when you... It's not if you fail, it's when you fail. Because yeah. if you're not failing, you're not learning. Yeah. And if you're not learning, you're not growing. And to have that growth mindset, you need to be able to be okay with failing and how quickly you learn from that. And if you're yeah. resisting wanting not to fail you're not learning or growing and your growth mindset is not yeah. there i heard the analogy recently around sort of like teaching children to walk and it's like you don't go to a child like oh you failed yeah. you didn't yeah. manage to make those yeah. steps like yeah. like that one step is yeah. like wow congratulations yeah. you made the one step even yeah. though you fell like yeah let's keep going and you'll and fall a hundred million yeah. times after that and exactly you know don't and i don't i always say to folks don't give yourself too much of a hard time learn from it educate yourself and be better be one percent better than what you were yesterday Mm. and I I always believe that if you can leave people in a better place than where you found them you've done your job yeah and people are forgiving if they can see that you're trying Mm. and you will say things I've said things I've had to unlearn a lot of things in this space and learn again and there's been communities that I weren't aware of that I've had to go in step in that space and ask uncomfortable questions for myself yeah to get rid of the biases that I held about them and that's a tough thing to admit as because you want to be seen as somebody that's, you know, fair and transparent and equitable and equal and all that. But life gets in the way and our biases around us are surrounded by other people, environments, situations, lived experience, unfairness that we may go through. 
Yeah. And we have to take all that on board when we're working with others. I think you hit a point there around um, not having to know everything, yeah. not having to be an expert no. in everything, which um, I think perhaps, you know, that is maybe where the difference lies between perhaps your DEI leaders and professionals and your internal communications teams is that even DEI professionals, like they're made to believe and think that they need to know everything. <laughs> every characteristic, everyone, every, every characteristic, everyone's lived experience. <laughs> and it's like most of the time people come with a lived experience. Yeah. Like the majority of people who work yeah. in that field have some kind of lived experience of marginalization or oppression. Um, but they, and they will spend a lot of their time and career learning about other people's yeah. experiences. And perhaps it's the case that they, they are at a slightly different place in that learning than the internal communications professionals but there's absolutely no reason why that learning can't be had by those people but also like it's not that you have to be expected to know everything and being able to know what you don't know is really key and and saying you know i don't have an and it is a privilege to say this but you can say i don't have an opinion about this right now and i need to go and educate myself a little bit more before i can give my thoughts and it's okay to say that and it's also okay to say there are more people qualified and better informed than me on this so I'm going to leave it to them to have their opinions. It's like sustainability. I care about the environment and I care about climate change and it's a, real, it's a, it's a big thing for me. But there are more people who are qualified and experienced in dealing with the policies and stuff that I would just let them do that and I do my bit. Yeah. I do my bit. I recycle. I will make sure that I'm being conscious of how I travel. Those, again, it's like the micro changes that you make that mm. can have a big impact. And I, in, the, in the book, I think we said, you know, small ripples create big waves, and that's mm. across the board. When you get involved in, if you, if you feel the need to get involved in absolutely everything, the overwhelm and the mental health impact is, can be catastrophic. Mm. And you have to be quite mindful about actually where do I want to be, you know, where do I want to be the ally for and the active by saying, what do, what do I need to learn? Where are my gaps? Mm. Where am I causing harm? That's a big one. Where am I causing harm by my ignorance? Yeah. And that's you to step back, reflect and learn. And being receptive to hearing that yes. feedback from others, right? Yeah. Which is, again, where a lot of leaders fall down on this work. Yeah. Where it's like, no, I know everything. I'm like, yeah. can't possibly be yeah. like, contributing to that yeah. form of oppression because, you know, that whole like, well, I know someone who is yeah. like, kind of, you know, my neighbour is, so I can't yeah, yeah, possibly, yeah, yeah. Be, I, you know, can't yeah. possibly be racist. I've got a black neighbour, yeah. like those sorts of comments where it's actually like, it, it's disingenuous and it's unhelpful and it's, um, it's egotistical. And we're not, and also, not every black person, not every South Asian person is homogenous. Exactly. We've all got very lived yeah. experience. If your, if your black neighbour doesn't mind being called a certain name, that doesn't mean that everybody else is exactly mm-hmm. the same. So be curious about that individual. And be conscious about what, how they would be referred to and how they want to be respected. Absolutely. And this is when, when people do say things like, oh, I've got a black neighbour or my girlfriend's black or I've got a South Asian mother-in-law. Who cares? Yeah. Like, it doesn't matter. Like, are you actually using that person that you're speaking with as respectfully and asking them the curious questions about how they want to be referenced or how they want to be spoken about? Mm. And it's like when that whole thing about where you're from. Yeah. Where are you from? Where are you really, really from? from? Yeah. And people are like, I don't know what the big deal is. It's like, the big deal is... That somebody made someone feel that they don't belong. Yeah. And ultimately, that's what it was. It says, we know you're not from here. Yeah. Tell me more. And I want to know exactly where your heritage is from. Yeah. And that's what the problem is. It's the question itself, if she asked it once and the person said, I'm from Brixton or wherever, it should have been left. It's not the question, it's how many times that person asked that question. And I get it all the time. No, mm. but where are you really, really from? I'm really, really from Bolton, if you really want to know. Yeah. You know, and, it, and I am stubborn about it because I yeah. know what they're asking. But you're, you asking me that question is making me feel like I don't belong in this country. Exactly. 
yeah and it's that like cumulative effect of it yeah. right that one person asking you that one time yeah. might seem innocent yeah. and not that big a deal but actually when you've been asked it your entire life yeah it's it a thousand cuts exactly it's a death of a thousand cuts definitely yeah something else i wanted to talk about while i've got you here is around um sort of some of the misinformation that we sometimes see in the media yeah. around do- equity, diversity and inclusion. Um, and I think it links back a bit to what we were saying there about people thinking they know. And um, perhaps sometimes they, they've actually read about it and they've not checked their facts. Yes. Um, and so, yeah, like, is how do internal communication professionals like navigate that space of like actually deciphering what is true and what's not and how do they find out like you know the evidence base for the information that yeah. they're sharing so misinformation and disinformation is rife right now at the moment and we are very conscious of how much information people are consuming that is inaccurate so as a communication professional and in fact any professional should be doing their due diligence mm. on the information that they're reading and verifying the facts so go to trusted sources and make sure that you're looking at the story from both sides. And now with ChatGBT and AI, there's so much information being thrown out there that is just so not true. Mm. And I will always say to folks that the algorithm is sided with your search history. So if you're searching for one particular topic over and over again, all you're ever going to see is your point of view. Yeah. You're not going to see anything else. Whether it's true or not, you, all you, that's all you're going to yeah. see. So you believe that's your reality. So everybody believes this and everybody's on my side. In fact, be conscious about manipulating your search history a little bit yeah. and looking at the opposite. An incognito view. search. Yeah, ignore like, yeah. I. I remember the moment I figured out that was a thing <laughs> when one of my colleagues was researching uh, wedding makeup. Yeah. And she had typed into Google, like, wedding makeup. And she was like, it's all so boring. Yeah. And I was like, let me see what I get. Yeah. And I had typed it in and I got, like, rainbow face because yeah. being a queer person. Yeah. It was like, <laughs> like, have glitter and huge eyelashes and, like, be, like, yeah. adorned. Yeah. Whereas she was like, oh, mine's all, like, muted palettes <laughs> and, like, bronzes <laughs> and, like... Lip gloss. Yeah, and she was just... <laughs> a very long time ago, yeah. maybe a decade ago even, but, like, it was just such a big yeah. penny-dropping moment yeah. for me to be like, oh, it shows me what yeah. I want to see and it shows her what she think, they, it thinks she wants to see and she wants to do yeah. something different and she's not finding it because yeah. of that. Yeah. And so, yeah, like, I guess that's, that's an analogy for thinking about, like, you are in an echo chamber yeah. and Google loves to give you that oh. echo chamber. <laughs> oh, they do. And also, you have to remember the social media platforms are businesses. The longer you stay on their platform, the more money they make. Yeah. So they want to keep you in that platform. And of course, the only way to keep you is to make you feel comfortable, to make you feel heard, to make you feel connected to people of the same point of view. If you were always seeing people who were different from you, or had different points of view, you'll switch off. And that's just human behavior. Mm. So it surprises me the lack of knowledge on how social media works. There's so many intelligent and professional people who use it as a point of source, make, you know, finding the sources. I'm like, be very careful about where you're getting information for, and also who owns that social media platform. Yeah. I mean, we're not getting into the kind of, you know, the Elon Musks of the world, but be, be, be aware about what's being kind of put into your algorithm and what's yeah. being shared and who's paying for what to yeah. get their tweets or Xs or whatever they're calling it now promoted. Same on uh, Instagram, same on Facebook, those kind of channels, then, and TikTok, it's manipulated to what you want to see and hear. Yeah. So as a comms professional, if you're using information to share the stories in your business or to advise your leaders, be mindful of mm. that and look at both sides of the story. And the, and the great example right now is Israel and Gaza, right? There's a lot of information out there. Some of it's accurate, some of it's factual, some of it's not. 
before you go in and have an opinion about anything that's so sensitive and absolutely horrific when you look at the news, be mindful and get both sides of the story because you're gonna cause more harm again by not having your facts right. Yeah. Um, so thanks so much, Avita, for joining us. It's been really interesting speaking to you about building a culture of inclusivity. Um, I've loved looking at how internal communication teams and diversity, equity and inclusion professionals can work together more closely, how they can influence EBI strategies and how we can you know, think about uncomfortable conversations, misinformation in the media. We've covered so much. It's been <laughs> like, yeah, such an um, insightful and considered conversation. And thank you so much for being here. Thank you for having me. It's been such a privilege to talk to you today. Thank you for tuning into this episode of The Culture Shift. We hope you found it insightful and informative. We really appreciate your support and value your feedback. So if you enjoyed this episode, please leave us a review, share your thoughts, and don't forget to hit the subscribe button to stay updated on when we release new episodes. If you're interested in our other content or how Culture Shift can help your organization, check out our YouTube channel, website, or drop us a message. And I'll see you next time.